Early on in my priesthood, I used to have Tuesdays away from the parish, and I would get together with some other priests, and we would go golfing. And we were on the golf course one particular day, and we were finishing up, and we got back to the clubhouse, and the the guys that were in the clubhouse were talking about something. We couldn't quite figure it out. Uh, the, The Pentagon was hit by a plane. There was something about the White House. We couldn't quite put the pieces together, and we got into our cars, and we're going, oh, I'm glad we live in Cleveland. No one's ever going to want to do something like that in Cleveland. And as we were getting in our cars and turning on the radios, we heard that planes were being turned away from Cleveland because of something similar. And we got out of our cars and kind of looked at each other and go, what do you suppose is going on? Then I'm driving home. And only on one station did I hear something about a plane flying into one of the World Trade Centers. And I'm flipping through the other stations, not hearing anything. And I'm beginning to think, well, this is like the War of the Worlds broadcast. It's it's some play or something. And then it starts coming on all the stations, and I realize something big is going on. My first reaction is to call the parish and say, I heard I'm coming back. Anybody who calls, tell them there's a prayer service tonight at 7 o'clock. I have no idea what we're going to do yet, but just tell them that. We will do something. And I called my parents and said, I won't be home for dinner today. i got to get back to the parish. And we get back to the parish, and we furiously try to throw together some kind of prayer service. And sure enough, at 7 o'clock that night, the church was filled almost to overflowing and this was not a church that had vigil candles like we have. They had six vigil, vigil candles, and you had to give an envelope to somebody, and they would say, I would light this for you at some point. So we put out trays with sand in it. You could take those lights that we light on um, uh, the Easter vigil, and you could light it as a vigil candle in the sanctuary. And the, the whole sanctuary was ablaze. There was really too many candles burning. And at the end of it, I said, we're going to start a novena. So every night, for nine nights, come back here and we'll pray for our country and whatever it is that's going on. And every night, the church was filled and the masses that weekend were just packed. And I remember telling my pastor, Father Bob Hilkert, I said, wow, this is amazing seeing all these people coming to the church. And he was a very practical man. And he just kind of said, don't worry. In about a month, it's all going to go back to normal. And the sad part was, he was right. Some stayed from that day forward, but most of the new blood didn't. And like Jesus, you wanted to ask, where are the other 90%? You know, when there is a need, our numbers grow. That's why you hear such sayings as, everyone who is arrested finds Jesus, and there are no atheists in foxholes. Even my dad, who was cool on the whole idea about God, at the end of his life, when there was nothing left to be done, there was just no more to be done, and he would look at me and just go, can't you help me? And I said, Dad, the only kind of help that I have you don't want. I do prayer and sacraments. That's all I have. And finally, one day, he said, okay, let's do that. Let's pray. When the ten lepers were in need, they defied custom and sought out Jesus, much to their own risk. But they were much in need. The nature of their illness was not only painful and disfiguring, but they were also denied access to other people. 
They were denied access to their town, their businesses, and even their own homes and property, their family and loved ones. They were allowed only the company of those who were like them, and they had to live out on the outskirts of town. So they sought out Jesus, and Jesus cures them. They are no longer in need. They can return home to their family, to their friends, to their loved ones, even to their enemies. They can go to the marketplace and be around other people, healthy people, and eat good food, wear normal clothes, and touch and be touched. They had a voice. They were free from pain, and they no longer looked hideous. We might expect that all ten would return and say, Thank you. But that's not what happens. One comes back. Ten percent. Is that really so shocking? Statistically speaking, no, not really. We see that today. So here's something I want you to know about yourself. You are part of that good 10%. You are the ones who keep coming back and saying, thank you, I love you. You are at this Mass to celebrate the Eucharist. And the original definition of the, of the word Eucharist is thanksgiving. You have been given gifts by God, the gift of life. You were redeemed in baptism, forgiven in confession, made temples of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. Many have been soothed by the anointing of the sick, fed by his body and blood. Many made one in the sacrament of marriage, touched in prayer, found peace, or maybe you were afflicted to change for the better. And think about how many things in your life had to go absolutely right for it to make it even possible for you to be here today. Despite the thing that may be tearing at your heart that's not going the way you want it, so much has to be good. Health, society, safety, infrastructure, freedom, equality, ability, etc., etc., etc. And you did not say, I got what I need and I got what I want, so today I'm going to sleep in. No, you got up and you came here to give thanks. Because you know this is not about an exchange of goods and services. This is about a relationship with someone, with a capital S, God, who gave you everything. And it is an honor to be your pastor. This relationship extends to our whole life. You know this from your other friendships. You learn to like what your friends like and hopefully vice versa because that is what, your, what friends do who love each other. One of my best friends is named Fred. Unfortunately, he's moved out west, but he always liked to have music playing and we have exceedingly divergent likes in music. But I learned to like his music because we were friends. He had a farm and on the farm he had horses and the horses needed their stalls mucked. Mucking stalls is not fun, but I did it because we're friends. And it's the same with God. There's a, in the Liturgy of the Hours, which uh, uh, religious priests and deacons promise to pray every day, and it's actually uh, suggested that everybody pray it, but during the daytime prayer, there's a song that often comes up, and it really touches me about our relationship with God. These are the words, breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I may love the things you love and do what you would do. 
It is part of who we are to conform ourselves to the Father. It's not an add-on. It's not this little compartmentalized part of ourselves, but constituent to who we are as human beings. And so we're not just thankful and a friend of God, a Christian, when we come to Mass, when we're at home or when we're praying privately, but also when we're at work, when we're on vacation, and when we step into the voting booth. Our Catholic faith calls us to be patriotic patriotic, and to take part in the life of our nation and to participate as a Catholic. Everybody has a right to vote and to guide our country toward that which they think is just and right. And Catholics have that right the same as anybody else. But as Catholics, we also say that it is our duty to vote and to vote as an informed and formed Catholic citizen. Informed means that we have done our research on the candidates and the issues. To be formed means that you have done your research well, research well on your faith. It's not about what we feel. It's not about what we might just think sounds fair. It's not what just might seem right to me. It means knowing truth as far as you can know it and enacting it. What is the good? What is negotiable? Using prudential judgment based on faith. And what is non-negotiable? Absolutely not. This will not stand in my nation. If you have questions on these topics, there is the beginning of some places to look in my column in the bulletin today. And I've received a lot of notes from you about preaching on this election. And at this very moment, I'm a bit at a loss of myself. I was watching the debates on the TV, and it, it kind of reminded me of this story. Years ago, I was up visiting my sister in upstate New York, and they live way out in the middle of nowhere. So if you needed something, there was no just hopping in the car and going down the street. The closest anything that was was an hour away. And one night, their dog came up on a porcupine and a snout full of porcupine quills. And there was nothing to be done but to bring the dog over, and it was late at night. Someone would hold a flashlight and hold the dog's head and just with a pair of pliers pull out the porcupine quills, which is exceedingly painful, but the dog knew it had to be done. And every once in a while, the dog would just wiggle away and walk away for a while, kind of shake off the pain, and then it would just slowly walk back because it knew this had to be done. That's how I felt watching the, the uh, debates. <laughs> I just go, I got to walk away for a minute. And concerning who to vote for, I feel a little bit like King David. If you remember, there was the time where he was going to count all his people and God said, don't count your people. And he went ahead and counted his people anyway. And God came back to punish him, punish him with this. But he gave him a choice. Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. Take for yourself either three years famine, three years to be pursued by your foes, or three days pestilence in the land. It seems like some of our choices are not much better than that. And in this election, it seems nobody is wooing Catholics. But a choice must be made. There are some deal breakers with which we may not play along with for anybody running for anything, including and especially the taking of innocent life, else we join with them in it. So I beg you, the 10%, the ones who came back and said, 
thank you, God, for life. Not to vote until you know exactly that for which you are voting. Check out our diocesan website. There's a lot of good resources there, dioceseofcleveland.org. Or just type in Diocese of Cleveland. It'll lead you there. There is the Catholic Conference of Ohio with some very good things. Read the diocesan magazine that came out. We'll we'll provide you other places to look. Also, you know, I know I was away this past week on this uh, thing with the bishop. All the priests were... And one of the things, it was kind of really great to hear from the younger priests because they know we're facing some difficulties in the diocese coming up. And they said, we're kind of sad that we didn't revert to the Old Testament when facing something like this, that we didn't, we didn't have, we're, we're called as a diocese for a day of fast, maybe, to pray for the diocese. And I say the same thing about this election. Consider not only praying, but maybe fasting, doing a day of fasting for our nation. Be not fooled. You are not second-class citizens. The churchman and the church have just as much of right as anybody else to be political. We as a body have sat idly too long and watched as a culture of death has affected us at every stage of human development. Be part of the beginning of the solution. Continue the excellent work you have done. Seek truth and be prepared to vote.